Welcome to the Next Level Business Podcast for entrepreneurs who are looking to take their business and wealth to the next level. All right, guys, welcome to the Next Level Business Podcast. This is Josh Pathy here. I'm here with uh, Ismail Hamid. Uh, and uh, welcome to the show. This is a solo uh, show, first show, the solo show. Shane's tied up right now, so um, I had to take over. I'm taking over today and uh, excited to get uh, Ismail on the show. I was on his show, uh, show uh, two days ago, so welcome. Thank you for having me, Josh. I'm sure the show's in good hands. Knowing you, how I know you, I'm sure you'll, you'll come through and hopefully I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got a great uh, podcast voice too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. People, I've heard that, you know, I spoke, um, you know, there's a conference in Australia and I remember uh, going there and everyone's like, oh, you have such a great soothing voice. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm a New Yorker with a thick accent, but I guess it sounds different to other people. Yeah. No, you got it good. I was, I was listening to the uh, podcast that you did with Ryan earlier and i was like man that's a good you know with all the editing and stuff like that so yeah so i wanted to have you on here uh we've been in touch for a long time uh we know each other through the photo booth industry and uh you know one thing i really liked about you just some background is um a lot of the people don't like me in the industry for whatever reason <laughs> so uh when me and you first met you know you were always you weren't hostile as a lot of the other people, uh, you know, you're always just kind and nice. And so, you know, I'm glad we stayed in touch and I appreciate you having me on, on your conference. You're going to talk a little bit about that later. Uh, so just want to tell you that personally, man, you know, just feel like I'll, always, you know, you wake up as a business owner, it's like you're ready to go to war, right? And everybody's your enemy, uh, especially if you're in your own industry and you're taking money out of other people's pockets. Uh, but, you know, me and you have, uh, rose above that. And it's not a competition. Not everybody has to be competition. You know, you can work to, to, to work together and, uh, do cool stuff, you know, and like this. Yeah, no, I definitely appreciate you saying that, man. It means a lot. Thank you. Uh, I always respected what you were doing in the industry. I noticed that you were a little bit more, uh, there's like these little active communities on online that people don't know about for the, the photo booth, the event industry. And I noticed that Josh was not really, incredibly active in them uh but he was very successful so to me people like that stand out like people that are doing things differently and still succeeding than everybody else to me that's something that just stands out a lot um and i also noticed that the industry was a little clicky uh so coming in as an outsider mm -hmm. i just tried to befriend uh, as many people as possible i didn't really i don't have a vested interest i'm not really we're not in high school anymore to yeah. play games like that you know a lot of people still feel like that though right in the groups yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of sense of that. I, I don't know about other industries. I'm sure it's the same uh, in different places. But for me, uh, I also don't like to view people as competition, like even local. We're getting into some uh, nitty gritty off the bat here. So I hope you don't mind. But like, yeah. even with my rental company here in New York, uh, people complain about competition all the time mm -hmm. uh, in our industry. I reached out to my competition. I befriended my competition. And then I had my competition working for me. Um, I would give them jobs when I couldn't do them. They would give me jobs when they couldn't do them. So I think the whole, like, like you said, people have that mentality that they're going to war. Um, make sure you're going to war with the war with the right people. Uh, you don't have to go to war with everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I got you. Uh, I'm working on that. I would say 
I've just been attacked so many times that I'm on, I'm prepared. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) You're doing the right thing, man. You're doing the right thing. I don't know why, uh, I don't know why people feel uh, whatever. I don't even know what they feel about you. I only see good things. So hopefully um, by putting yourself out there more, getting you on our platforms, uh, it only helps because I think you're doing great things. I mean, people know you, this is your show. You're two time, two comma award winner, <laughs> uh, building photo with international, doing all the things that you're doing. Uh, how can you not like someone like that? Uh, if anything, you try to learn from people like that. Right. Right. Well, thank you for that. So um, yeah, I want to start off, you know, in the beginning, tell me a little bit about like childhood growing up, uh, and then uh, you were working the financial services, right? Before you left your job. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, as well. Sure. So I'll try to give a brief overview and for people listening. I usually am the one interviewing people. So I'm out of my comfort zone here. Uh, Josh, feel free to reel me in or direct me where you want me to go. But yeah, my background, I don't know where best to start. I was always like on the career path growing up. I was doing well in school, uh, now that I think about it, though, see, you know, that's why these shows are great. You think about things that you forgot. I was in, uh, there's this thing called DECA. Oh, this is going way back. I don't know if they have this in Texas or wherever everyone else is from. But in New York, there's a program called DECA. It's like a marketing program in school. And we would, like, create business plans and pitch them and, and try to sell things. Mm-hmm. And I was doing very well with that. I actually would, like, I would win the county competition, the state competition. Uh, I went to nationals twice in high school. One one was in Texas, one was in California. Uh, So I kind of was always doing well in that, even though I wasn't really focused on that. I was trying to get a good career. Um, Ended up working on Wall Street for many years. I worked in the financial sector. I ended up, my last job was in the real estate finance sector. Um, Did you grow up in America? Are you from, what's your nationality? Or yeah, I was I was born in America, but my family is from the Balkans, which is like specifically Macedonia. Oh. Uh, but it's all it's all mixed over there. So like we're from Macedonia, but Turkish. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, they immigrated here. My mom immigrated here when she was pregnant, and I was born here as oh. an American. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. You you. Uh, no no no. It's all good. So yeah. So I, I was working on Wall Street, but. So uh, while working, I was always doing very well. Like I remember the first big company I worked at, they were going through bankruptcy during the financial crisis and like the half the company got laid off. And I remember there was only like a couple people promoted uh, that year and I was one of them. Uh, so I was just progressing very quickly. Uh, I, I was like the youngest person with an office. I had people uh, that I was managing and stuff like that, but I was never satisfied. Like it kind of came a little easy and I don't want to belittle uh, jobs and work too much. But for me, it was kind of easy and not fulfilling. Like I was a top performer, but spending half my time thinking about other things that I should be doing or cooking up other ideas or, or trying to scratch that itch. So uh, eventually got to the point where I, I just made the leap and that was a couple of years ago and I haven't looked back. So how old were you when you on on Wall Street? Right out of college. So even, even in college, I was working. Um, it was three days a week I was working full time and two days a week I was going to school. Mm-hmm. So I was what, 20, 21 okay. working at my first firm. Yeah. Okay. And so you were on wall street in, in 2008. Yeah, I was, I had a front row seat actually the company I worked for. Uh, I don't know if I want to name them here, but they were initially one of the companies blamed for causing the financial crisis. So, and I sat on the same floor as the CEO and 
the CFO and all these people. Right. So like MSNBC, all these news companies were there every day. It was a very interesting experience to be there and, and witness that. Right. That's crazy. Uh, now, did, did your, I know you said you were on the career path. Uh, did, did you, your parents like push you towards like, Hey, go to college, go to, you know, yeah. all the, the route. Yeah, for sure. For sure. As immigrants, um, that was the dream. Come to America, uh, have your kids go to college and build a good life for themselves. But I'm fortunate. I was never, uh, and this is what I explore on my show. And, and you know this, cause I was asking you these questions. Like, w- did you feel different growing up? And I feel like I did. And people saw that in me that, Hey, this kid's got something. Uh, so I was never really pressured too hard to do something or not to do something. I think people just let me be and let me do whatever I, I decided was best. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's tough in my circle. Like I was the first person to go to college. Like uh, I didn't have anyone to ask for advice. I didn't know what the SATs were. I didn't know what all these uh, common things were because I had no one to tell me about them. So I had to figure that all out on my own. And uh, what gravitated you towards like financial industry and Wall well, Street, stuff like that? Yeah. Uh, initially, I was in uh, marketing because of DECA, right? So this is funny. I was in marketing, but a friend of mine got me a job at this Wall Street firm. Uh, and I remember I was like in the records room, like the file room, doing some files. And I was looking and I had like access to everyone's salary. So I'm like, <laughs> wow, the, the people in finance are the ones making all the money. So let, let me see how I can switch over to, to that field. <laughs> I, I switched my major uh, into finance and I focused on that. But it's funny because now uh, I'm going back to marketing. Uh, we talked about this, the importance of online marketing and the skill, uh, how important that skill is. So it's funny how I started there in high school with DECA. I went there with my major, switched to finance, and I'm coming back to using more marketing than I am. So, uh, well, but, I'm still using finance, yeah. Yeah. Did you, you completed your finance? Like yeah, I completed my finance degree. Yeah. I, I even went to NYU and I did more programs. Like I went to a real estate program. I did a credit analysis program. So I... I I went to school a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got, okay. We got innocent Malik on here. One of our uh, customers. He's, nice. he's in. Um, so you, you graduate college, you, you go on wall street and then you, you kind of, I'm just thinking like uh wolf of wall street now. Right. <laughs> it's like, I could just see you in the, in the, you know, the flow of the CEO and stuff like that. Cause I always think about that. Did you have a corner office? No, I didn't have a corner office. So at, at that point, I didn't have an office. I was just starting out, uh, but I was rapidly progressing. And then I ended up getting like I had these certain goals of making X dollars salary. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could make this by 30. Uh, and I got there a lot quicker. Uh, and I was like, OK, I remember one key moment was when I was like 20 something years old and I was working on this big project. And like the my manager had all these people report to me and yeah. I was just this kid on the trading floor, like barking out orders to people and they were listening. Yeah. And I was like, wow, either I'm in the wrong place or I'm in the right place. Yeah. Uh, but it did, it just didn't feel fulfilling to me. And how did you like control? Like, so suit and tie every day, 12 o'clock lunch, uh, go outside. <laughs> like, is, is that right? I, I couldn't have this. I'll tell you that. So as soon as I left, I'm like, I'm growing a beard and I'm not shaving it off. <laughs> so how about, um, like, uh, 
did anybody challenge you because you were young? How's the egos in the room and stuff like that? Um, let me think back. There, there's you're touching on an important point. Uh, I don't think I ever had much problem with that because I think I was good at navigating uh, the politics. I was very good at it. I just didn't like it. Right. Uh, but I found that people respected me because I wasn't afraid to tell them what I thought and everyone else was playing uh, the politics game. So I was always the guy that uh, people would actually tell me stuff to tell the the executives because they were afraid to. Uh-huh. And I found out that like counterintuitively that helped me more just right. because I had the guts. Yeah. So the other day on the podcast, you said you had like side businesses, you were selling stuff on eBay. Is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've done so many things, man. I, I forget all the stuff that I've done, but yeah, I was uh, like, so this is like back and, side hustle while you're still working on, on wall street college right? and stuff. Okay. Right. Let's talk a little bit about so, that. Yeah. I was, I was flipping stuff. Um, or the hair. Even I start, yeah. I started off though with, uh, like I was into video games as a kid, like everybody else. I started off buying these video game lots on eBay and uh, breaking them up and selling them one by one. Mm. So I'd find a lot that was like, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks. If I saw a game in there that I knew was valuable, I would just sell that game separately and sell all the games separately to uh, profit. Yeah. yeah. So I was doing that for, that's how I started on eBay. Uh, and then I went the same route that you went. I was looking on Alibaba. <laughs> um I found this product. I still don't know what it was called, but it was like a hair dryer. It, it was either dryer. new or chi. It was a chi. I think it was chi. Yeah, yeah, I think it was chi. It was like this big product at that time. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I got a sample. I bought a real one um, in America, and I was like, "This can't be. Is this really how it works? Like, it's that much cheaper for a real product?" I'm like, "Man, the markup at these stores must be crazy." I'm like, "Okay." I compared them. They look the same. I couldn't find. Yeah, I couldn't find any difference between the products. And I was like with a microscope going over it. And I'm like, all right, this is legit. This must be from the same factory. Right. Uh, so I started selling them on eBay. And eventually uh, my house turned into a fulfillment center. Like the post office put a special code on my door that they had to scan every day. Um, and then I got a, a threatening lawsuit from the company behind that, uh, the Chi, whatever that product was. And that was the end of it. I'm like, man. I didn't know. I thought it was legit. I looked at it. I'm sorry. <laughs> they wanted to sue me. And I was like, man, I have no money. I'm just a kid. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I got lucky with that. They eventually left me alone. But it was obviously very scary seeing right. like $50,000 or $100,000 lawsuit as a, as a teenager. Yeah, they always start with that. <laughs> but that's always a but good I was like, Get out of jail for yeah. I'm a kid. I don't have anybody. <laughs> I'm like, yo, you should, you should talk to these people on Alibaba. They're the ones that you want to go after. <laughs> Yeah, so when when I was selling the fake Nike shoes, like I, I I got several accounts banned by by eBay because like the other Chinese sellers that were selling on eBay would report my account, uh, my stuff to be fake, but then they were on there selling fake stuff. So I, I would I just remember typing up emails to the eBay customer support. I'm like, all of their other shoes are fake. Why are you guys attacking me? <laughs> you know, this is this is the war. This is back to the war you were talking about. Yeah, like, that's war. that was real war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, yeah, so so we were doing that. Um, I was even doing that when I was married with my wife, and after a certain point, like I didn't have time to do all the packaging. She was doing a lot of that stuff, and once I got that lawsuit experience, it was like, man, we were making good money, but it wasn't like I, it didn't feel right because I'm like, okay, it was fake. Like I don't really want to do this. Obviously, you can't do it; it's illegal. 
Um, and my wife was like, it was too much, all these boxes and packaging equipment all around the house. So we stopped doing that, even though we were making good money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but, but there was another, I don't think I told you about this, but when I was working at the Wall Street firm, I actually started a startup called, uh, it was called My Freebies. Uh, I don't think I've talked about this anywhere yet, but maybe I'll do an episode on my show about this in depth. But it was a startup that I, so I listened to these podcasts of these people that built software uh, and they didn't know how to code. So I was like, all right, I don't know how to code. Let me build software because uh, it's, it's a scalable business model. Um, so I, I built this tool with a developer called My Freebies that allowed small businesses to promote their companies with giveaways. So this is back in the day where like YouTube, people were doing giveaways to get subscribers. Like when it first started, uh, that was going well. We got investors and I'm skipping a lot of the story, uh, but it ultimately ended. I was actually talking to someone at GoDaddy about potentially acquiring it because it fit with their small business customers. Mm. Uh, and then Amazon just made, I don't know if you know this, if you go to Amazon, the very bottom of the listing, you can create a giveaway for the product. Uh, and they made that for free. So oh. that, that just kind of killed that killed that little, little company. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Maybe I need to do a giveaway to get some subscribers. So, so nothing ever came out of it. You guys just abandoned it. Yeah, we, it was going well. We, like I said, we had investors. We had a bunch of companies that were clients. Uh, we had a YouTube channel. Um, I actually created a viral video, an animation video. When like one of the iPhones first came out, I recruited these uh, Disney animators to make this video of our mascot like sneaking into Apple headquarters, <laughs> um, stealing the new iPhone so that we can give it away. Yeah. Uh, so we yeah. did. We did that. It got a lot of attention. It was unmashable. It went viral. Uh, and a lot of people entered our giveaway, and that's how we grew our audience. Nice. You still have that email list? <laughs> I probably do. I probably do somewhere. It was a very big email list, but uh, what I found out uh, is that it's a low quality email list. Yeah. People that want free stuff yeah, exactly. are not the people that usually buy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for so sure. That's the other problem with that model. Thousands of email lists and, and can't really do anything. All right. So uh, the software stuff happens. Amazon launches competing product, right? Big surprise there. Like they do that to everybody now, right? Um, so what's what's next on, on the horizon after that? So after that, let me think. I basically... When did you start with your photo booth rental business? I think after... So after that, I actually... I don't know if I did any major hustle. I was focused. I started a community organization, and this is going to tie into the photo booth. So I started a nonprofit organization uh, to build... I told you my family's from the Balkans and we have people in the tri-state area that are from there. So I was trying to bring all these young people together to yeah. network and keep that going. And I organized a new year's party. And I remember for that new year's party, I booked like a live band. I booked like a balloon artist, like all these different things. And I booked a photo booth. Mm. And that was the first time I've seen a photo booth. And it was the hardest thing to find. It was new year's Eve they were all booked. Right. I found one guy from like Pennsylvania that was charging an arm and a leg. Yeah. And I was like, man, when the guy came there, he set it up and I'm like, this looks so easy. He's making more money than the band. Oh. And it doesn't require any skill or expertise to learn. You know, that's the crazy part about that business is that like I have a clarinetist on stage that studied for 15 years to <laughs> learn how to put a clarinet. Right. Uh, and then this guy rolls up with a photo booth that just, you know, learned it quickly. He's making more money than him. <laughs> so that to me was always appealing um, and I basically started that company with my younger brother as a way to like, 
I was full blown into entrepreneurship. I believed in the power of entrepreneurship. He was younger than me. And we were like, you know what? Instead of getting a job like every other high school kid, mm-hmm. let's start a business. Yeah. Let's do this. Uh, so that's what we did together. And this was, uh, you were still at, at Wall Street at this time, right? When you did this? Yeah, I was still I was still working. I was working for a while while doing all these things. Um, I was nonstop working. I know you're familiar with that day and night. Yeah. Even when I was in uh, college, I remember I told you I was working three days a week at the job, two days at school. I was working nights and weekends at another part-time job. So I was always hustling. Right. So you start the photo uh, business with your brother. How did you connect with Ryan? So I connected with Ryan. For people who don't know, Ryan ended up being my co-host for the Super Boothers podcast, which is the number one uh, global podcast in the photo booth industry. I think that's what he told me. Uh, Hopefully he's not lying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Josh is on that podcast as well. Uh, I met him at the photo booth expo. So let's re- rewind a little bit where we started this photo booth company. It was going well, um, like better than I thought off the bat. And then we were getting busy and we ran into the problem that a lot of people run into. It was a lot of time and effort doing all the invoicing, following up with the leads, collecting payments, doing the contracts. Did they send, did they sign the contract? What they want to book availability, all that stuff. And I was looking for a tool to do that. And I didn't like the tools that were out there. Yeah. So I I decided to build my own and I went to the photo booth expo to sell it. And that's where I met Ryan. What is the name of that software? That software is photo booth CRM. Okay. So where's it at right now? It's photo booth CRM.com. But right. So yeah, this is a very long winding road. So I, I started that software, which is pretty interesting how I started. I'll tell you the story. Um, I had I had issues with developers. It's never as easy as you think building these tools. Yeah. So I switched my developer a couple of times and I kept rebuilding the software, like mm-hmm. making it better, making it better. And my plan was to launch the new version at my conference, which we'll get to. Uh, and, and we'll get to why that became a problem. But basically, the software right now is kind of in a holding pattern. I'm trying to decide what to do with it. Yeah. Software is a it's a. It's like a dark road. You're just going down and you don't know where it's going to end and where's the turns at, you know, driving without headlights from my experience. Definitely. I've hired, uh, yeah. I've tried to do some apps and stuff, but I'm like, this is not, unless I have a developer as a partner, I'm not going to venture into software like that. So, okay. So you launched the, yeah, you ran into a problem. You want to, you want to solve the problem. Which, I mean, I, we had the same problem too. You know, we had to use like, we had a CRM, we had a document sender, and we had like Dropbox and nothing talked to each other. Even till this day, like, you know, we still use like five, six different apps just to process one order, you know, because nothing talks to each other. One day that'll be solved. Hopefully we're alive to see it and benefit from it. <laughs> um, so I, you're hitting on the point though with, with the, identifying the pain point. And just a really cool story very quickly is, what you what you've said to me and what everyone knows is that everyone wants to support you, but when it comes time to pull out the credit card, that's when you really find out if people want something. Right. So I had the idea for this program and I said, you know what? I'm not gonna build it unless I can get like three to five people to pay me uh for the software before I spend any money building it. Yeah. And I remember I just wrote like a Word document explaining what the software will do. And I explained that I didn't build it yet. Um and I tried to pre-sell it. And I was blown away that I got people to pay me for an annual subscription wow. before I even started building the software. And that's when I was like, all right, let me, let me go ahead with this. Wow. That's good. I love that. Yeah. A lot of people, I'm not a fan of, you know, spending hours and days 
you know, like I like pre-sell everything or do it while I'm selling it or yeah, a combination of those, a blended combination, but obviously, you know, there, you, there has to be some, uh, it, within reason that the market is demanding for this kind of you know product, which at that time I'm sure it was, it, it definitely was because the whole industry was brand new and there wasn't anything catered to it. That must have been like the first or second ever photo booth expo, right? I think it was the second one. Yeah, I didn't go to the first one. I was I wasn't in an industry yet. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. So you um, you go to the industry. You try to launch. You get some uh, uh, people to sign up, and then what happens after that? So that I, I had, I was doing well with it. Uh, but like I said, I think the story and everyone always wonders what happened with PBCR. It's still there. Um, I had, I had a decent number of customers paying monthly. They were happy with it. They, they were customers for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always wanted to push the envelope and improve the tool. Right. So I would get the feedback and I'm like, all right, let's improve it, improve it, improve it. And when you build software, something you encounter is called um, technical debt. So as you're constantly like improving, it's like a Jenga where you're adding pieces and adding pieces. And then it's the foundation's getting a little weaker or has holes in it because you're kind of just adding things to it. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, uh, you kind of have to make a decision of you keep doing that and hope it doesn't break or you rebuild it from scratch with a newer uh, software language. Oh. So that's the route that I went. Uh, and I was planning to relaunch it at PBNY, like totally brand new. Uh, secret. No one knew about it. Uh, and I was hoping to get a lot of attention that way. Unfortunately, COVID came and, and ruined my plans. All right. So let's, let's, uh, so you, you're trying to launch the software. You have your photo booth rental business. Uh, so several years go by, you're doing successful with it. Uh, then me and you are in contact. And then you decide to launch your own conference. So entire conference from scratch, you've never done it before. What what gave you the idea to do that? Oh man! All right. So when I met Ryan at the expo, uh, we hit it off off the bat, and I like a couple of days after, I was like, "Hey, I'll start a podcast," and that is how we first started the Super Ruthers podcast, and that took off like crazy, like more than we expected, and we were hosting meetups around the country, around the world, um, flying to L.A., Texas, New York, and and meeting. Yeah. yeah. First time I met you was when, when you were in Dallas uh, for that. Yes, yes, yes. So mm-hmm. that was cool. And, and it, it proved that there's these smaller communities of like um, more elite boothers that wanted to get to the next level and they weren't getting at the current um, conferences. Yeah. So I had the, I had the privilege of speaking at uh, Photo Booth Expo. I also spoke at BoothCon in Australia and I just saw that there was like, they're great. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like Rob who built PBX, uh, it's massive. He's very successful. There's like 4,000 photo boothers that fly in from all over the world to go there. But there was a small community of boothers that wanted something different. Uh, and, and they wanted like more in-depth education. Right. So that was how kind of the idea started cooking in my head. And thankfully the guys behind both of those conferences, Rob and Justin Jowett, were very helpful to me and giving me advice and sharing their experience. And they told me, don't do it in New York. It's too expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Was pushing me from the beginning uh, to do it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I believe I can do it. We have the audience and super boothers and I'm going to do it my way uh, a little bit different than everybody else. Yeah. 
And so, would you? I mean, you saw that kind of come up and get a lot of attention. Yeah. What did you see uh, from your end? Because was it different? Did it stand out to you? Uh, yeah, it did. I mean, obviously, from the get go, it wasn't just for general population. You know what I mean? <laughs> By that, not disrespectfully, general pop, but just you know, it was for the people who wanted uh, to take their who are already at a certain level and wanted to go to the next level, you know. And from this other stuff that I've seen you do, and also from the podcast doing with you guys, I know like even Ryan, you know, uh, like the stuff y'all do is really quality. Even when that that event that I went to in Dallas, like you know, W Hotel, okay, you know, that's like hey, that's balling right there. You know, I walk up. <laughs> You guys had, you know, the, the, the check-in desk and actually I wasn't going to go to that. You know, like I wasn't really cool with you guys back then, <laughs> but it's a funny story. Uh, so Steve from imaging spectrum, he called me up and he's like, Josh, you need to go to this thing. And I'm like, Steve, I don't know, man. I don't know if they like me or not. There's going to be some haters up there. And uh, he's like, no, you need to go, man. Don't worry about it. I was like, all right, fine. I'll meet you up there. And then that's, that's actually how I came and I had, you know, a great time. It was a great time. Uh, you know, the swag, I know you guys had like swag bags, you had the branding, you know, I look for these things. I look for the effort. We talked about this on your podcast. I can see the effort putting involved in that. And so I know that, you know, you putting your name on something and promoting it on the podcast uh, that, you know, th- that it's not going to be just something that you put together or not, or something you're trying out, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So that that's what I saw from the beginning. Uh, and uh, there is a market like that of people who, uh, you know, one higher caliber of education and service at the end of the day. A lot of people who have businesses, they think like there's just one caliber of people, right? Like the people that we sell photo boots to, you know, they're just like, oh, weddings, birthday parties, quinceaneras. Like, no, you know, like when they come to the showroom and we show them our presentation, like there's corporate events, there's all types of other events. There's there's weddings that, you know, that they don't spend less than $100,000 on the wedding itself. You know, what about those people? You're not even targeting those. And so with you guys, you solved the problem for that. And uh, that's what I saw, you know, from the get-go and the caliber of the speakers that were on there. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's kind of why I reached out and, and asked to speak there. No, I appreciate that. And you know this very well. I mean, you were just telling me about how with PBI, you have people – that come visit the showroom, you treat them well, you, you have a limo, pick them up. Like to me, when you do, when you have a business, you can either focus on going like wide right. uh, and getting as many people as possible. Or you want to go deep and do it better than anybody else. Yeah. That's what I generally prefer is because you can make more money with, uh, without going crazy, trying to satisfy everybody. You just pick one vertical, one niche, right. make them super happy, go all in. Right. And you end up winning that way. So it kind of grew into a passion project with me because it was like, okay, this is the first one event in New York. Right. Like I'm putting my name on it. Like you said, it's it could be my way to step up in the industry, become mm-hmm. a major player. I got to go all out. So mm-hmm. I was touring venues. Like I picked a TWA hotel at JFK Airport, which is like, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you got to look it up. It's an incredible location. See, Nothing. Yeah, it was a. It's a heritage site where it's a landmark they can't knock it down they were going to knock it down they saved it it was built by uh this famous architect it was featured in the howard uh terminal movie howard hughes um and there's like a plane there that they converted into a bar there's like a rooftop bar over the runway it's such a unique place it's unbelievable um so i was like all right i gotta go 
big on the location. Yeah. Um, and I even rented a big boat uh, to take everyone. That's right. I got buses to take all the attendees from the hotel to the Hudson River, get them on a yacht, go around the Statue of Liberty. Right. Um, I had a VIP dinner. I was planning for all the speakers. Like I was going all out. And the most important thing to me was to get speakers that had not spoken before, like to get big names that everyone knew was big, right. uh, but ha- they haven't spoken before. So that was really what set me apart, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, honestly, like Photo Booth Expo is awesome and all that, but it's a lot of the manufacturers that are speaking and they, they're talking about their products and stuff like that, you know, and there's a time and place for that. But I like that approach that you had. You know, you got to go in with something totally different, totally unique, and you proved it. So you've enchanted on this endeavor, or went on this enchanted endeavor, <laughs> endeavor right? Uh, and it's your first time doing it, and it's a big risk. And I'm sure, like everybody said, not to do it. I would have probably told you the same thing if you if you asked me, because I've thought about doing it a long time ago. Because there's not one in Texas, and I like I think there, it, it would be it would be a big hit in Texas, you know, if something like that would happen. But I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want to deal with that much headache. But you did it, so you're planning. Uh, I think was it almost like eight months before the the show, or one year before the show, from the time you decided you were going to do it. It's, it was probably about like 10 months that I decided to do it. And then uh, like finding a location took a couple months, locking up a contract with them. Like, so yeah, about 10 months to a year. Okay. So um, you, you make a decision, you do that. And then it was supposed to happen in March or February. It was supposed to happen in March. Uh, oh. It was the worst possible timing yeah. that I could have had. I got punched in the face by COVID. <laughs> it was COVID. a huge risk. Yeah. And it, I actually remember um, like literally the week before my conference or like two weeks before was the crazy. There was this day that was crazy where the NBA shut down. There was all these flights from other countries uh, not allowed to come to America. Uh, Tom Hanks got COVID. Like it was just the worst day ever. And that was the day that I was like, all right, I have to cancel this. There's like no way this is going to happen. Yeah. That was a good, that was a good call. All right. So leading up to this, you're excited. Now, did you, I mean, if you don't want to share, it's fine. If you just say, you know, no comment, but did you have any personal money invested into this or is it? Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, for people who don't know, cause I, I was shocked by this yeah. renting a venue in New York city is like, you th- think of what you think is expensive and like double and triple that it's crazy. Yeah. And that's why no one's done it in New York. It was mind blowing how expensive it was. Like I remember touring some venues um, and there was like 150 grand a day to rent the venue. Yeah. I was like, unbelievable. Yeah, that's uh, but there's still all these events happening. So they're, they're getting customers. Right. Yeah. We so actually, yeah, I, I had, you go ahead. Yeah. No, so we actually did an event in New York for, and we had to fly out there with our photo boots, but, but yeah, go ahead and finish what you were saying. I was just going to say, um, so yeah, I had a big financial risk. I obviously tried to, mitigate that risk somewhat mm-hmm. um, where I, I, you put a down payment down to reserve the venue. Right. And then there's these payments that you have to make on a schedule. Right. Uh, so I lined those payments up with my ticket sales. So for example, I started off at a lower price and I would increase it every time a payment was due. Mm-hmm. And that was my way of getting people to pay me uh, so I could get as much money as possible to pay right. the next deposit um, before uh, the next payment came up, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, it does. 
So uh, you're doing all this work, you're doing the sales, you're promoting it. Um, so what was the initial reaction or feedback from from when you, did you do a survey to say like, hey, would you attend? I think you did, right? Yeah, I, I do a lot of surveys. I'm known for that. So I, yeah. I like to like find that what people want and yeah. then just give it to them. I think right. business is really easy. Just find out what they want to give it to them. So yeah, I, so this is something interesting that you and your listeners might appreciate is the most tickets I sold for the event was right when I first opened it. Yeah. I didn't have any speakers yet. I didn't have anything yet. I didn't even have the venue yet. Um, that tells me the power of having a podcast audience. Right. Like people that listen to you, they trust you. They're like, yo, you're doing it in New York. Here you go. Even yeah. though my ticket was like triple the price of the other conferences, right. immediately people just gave me money. Right. So it went very well from the get go. And then like, it's like momentum. So I'm like, all right, a lot of people paid. Let me get a great place. Let me get great speakers. And then it's like a domino effect. Once you get one great speaker, it's easier to get the next one and the next one. Right. So I was kind of riding this wave and everyone was looking forward to it. Uh, and I got some people that people were shocked. Like, how did you get these speakers, man? You've been trying to get them for years. <laughs> like you had the, what was it? The MailChimp CEO or marketing director? Um, no, it was somebody that I had someone from Aweber. Aweber. That's right. Yeah. A-Weber. Someone high up from Aweber. Yeah. That's awesome, man. You know what I mean? That's big time, uh, there. So, uh, um, all right. So you, you're doing this, you're getting the speakers lined up and then, you know, drops of COVID start coming in, start shaping a little bit. How do you, how do you handle that, man? That's a, I mean, it was tough for me. I know, you know, you had this big thing. How did you handle it? How did you navigate? It was incredibly stressful. Not going to lie. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it was, it was not easy. Yeah. Um, probably looks easy from, from people. Cause you don't show that right. side of the, of, of being an entrepreneur, but it was really rough because I was at a huge financial risk. Um, it was, in, it was in my incentive to try to continue with the event. Right. Obviously I, w- I would not have been able to, uh, but at that time I didn't know. Right. So, cause I have all this money from sponsors. I have all these ticket sales. I've paid the venue. I've paid for the boat. I've paid for the AV company wow. and I'm stuck. Right. Um, so canceling it, I got to refund people. And with what money would I do that? Right. So mm-hmm. it was, it was a tough spot. Uh, but ultimately I, if I think back, I, I, I first sent out a email blast saying, Hey, we're still going through with it. It's a very low infection rate in New York, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, um, the photo booth expo happened like yeah. um, not even a month before mine was supposed to happen. So like that one went off without a hitch. So I'm like, all right, look, that went well. It's a low infection rate. Um, so I tried to like put confidence in people, yeah. which in hindsight was, a, was not the right decision. Um, and I ultimately decided, um, I don't know how you feel, Josh, or how people listening, how they think about things, but I was like, all right, what's the most important thing here? Um, to me is my reputation. Mm-hmm. because you know you can bounce back from a failed event a failed right. business right but it's hard to bounce back uh if people don't trust you know anymore like yeah. if if i if i cheat my way through this event there won't be another event right um and then there like everything's you die right there basically right, right, right. so i was like what's the right thing to do yeah. uh, and i made the decision to pivot to virtual because i think even though it was very hard and I had some speakers back out. Uh, thankfully, Josh, I appreciate you, you 
did not back out. I'm thankful for that. Um, I thought it was, that's when people need the education and the community Yeah, uh, in, in a time of crisis. So right. I was like, all right, I still got to deliver something. Right. Um, so I looked into doing it virtually. I'm like, all right, we're going to do it virtually. And I refunded everybody that bought a ticket, half their ticket price. People told me I was crazy for doing that. And maybe I was, uh, it, it wasn't a good financial decision, but I think it was the right one. Mm-hmm. And I refunded my sponsors. Yeah. Um, and people don't know this, but I didn't get any money back from the venue. Uh, so I went deep in my own pocket and refunded everybody mm-hmm. and did the event uh, at a loss. And I was fighting with the venue to get my money back for months and months and months. Uh, and that was just way more painful than it, than it should have been. Yeah. Did they refund you? They, they refunded me very recently. Uh, not by choice. Oh, not by choice. Okay, I got you. Not by choice. Don't mess with me, man. I have the contract. I read the contract. Yeah. Um, so it was it was not a pleasant experience. And that showed me, um, like, my clients in my rental business, I don't want to treat them the way I was treated. So yeah. even with my software, the CRM software, I refunded everybody. I canceled all their subscriptions. And anybody that wanted a refund, they got a refund. I, I just don't, I don't want to play that game because once people don't trust you, you're done. Right, right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that, that that was a good decision. I remember uh, when you sent that first email about the infection rates, I was like, ah, oh, man, this guy's, I was like, man, it's kind of, I was like, right. but if I commit to something, I'm going to be there. It's in stone. You know what I mean? So I know I talked to Jasmine. I was like, hey, we'll just go. We're just going to be inside the hotel. We're not going to go outside. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> so we were like prepping, you know, we, were, we we booked our tickets and everything like that. I remember buying some expensive shoes for this <laughs> event, man. I bought some Kristen Louboutin shoes. I was like, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you're able to return them. <laughs> nah, I ended up keeping them. I, like, it was my first big, like, I've never bought, like, high-end shoes like that before. It was, like, first time, uh, you know, because I was like, man, I'm going to be talking on stage. I was going to hire a photographer, <laughs> videographer, all that stuff. So, um, I, was, I wish it would have happened, man. Maybe, maybe another time. But just yeah. to give you... The, the reason like right now it looks stupid. What I did was send that email and try to like justify, but there is a strategic reason as the event organizer, why I wanted to continue with the event until I literally couldn't. Right. Uh, and in, in the contract, I'm not allowed to cancel the event and get a refund. Right. Exactly. So I was basically biding my time until, um, <laughs> the government said this is illegal and you can't do it because in the contract, there was a force majeure clause that said, if there's a government restriction that prevents you from doing the event, you get a full refund. Uh, so I was waiting for that to happen. And once those flights were canceled and the lockdowns were announced, that's when I was like, all right, we got to, we got to make a decision now. Yeah, that was good. That was good. I mean, I'm, you know, I ain't hating on you. <laughs> I would have done the same thing. I mean, Look, you do the best you can. You have good intentions at the end of the day. You know, your intention is not to maliciously steal money from people. You know what I mean? Like people think when I sell them photo booths, I'm maliciously like, oh, Josh, you sold me this photo booth. It's not working. You're not making money. Like, uh, did you set up a website? Did you learn the software? Did you get set up on Google? Did you watch all my YouTube videos? Did you watch all the training? No, we're not doing that. Our intention here is to help you. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was great. I'm glad that you were able to, you know, come out positive because, a big thing we always talk about on the show is like you have these setbacks in life, you know, and like one setback can, can set you back for, you know, three years, five years like that, you know, and, and that's why we did the show because 
myself and Shane, um, you know, we've had setbacks and we're trying to minimize that as much as possible. You know, there's times where, you know, I'm looking at a real estate deal. Just, it was last year, I remember. And, uh, you know, I pick up the phone, I run it by Shane. He does the numbers. He's like, nah, man, you're going to be in the hole on this, you know, from day one. And like, if I didn't make that phone call, or if I had too much ego to call him and ask him his advice for that, um, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be stuck in these condos for like, you know, who, who, whoever knows how long, you know, and that'll be a big setback. So, um, you know, thank you for sharing that. So I know that you, you, you work with your wife still, or I know she was helping you with the, the packages. Yeah. My wife, my wife's always my partner in helping me, but, um, like right now she's like nine months pregnant with yep. our second kid. So after we first had the first kid, um, obviously it becomes much harder uh, maybe one day you're going to find this out too, Josh. Yes. Uh, I want to see how you, how your productivity <laughs> goes, but it's much harder. Yeah. And now with the second kid, I mean, I think she's off <laughs> off the grid for or for a bit. And thankfully, I mean, her way of supporting me um, is like giving me time to try to do some work. Right. right. So at least I can keep working, and she can give me some time, and then I give her a break. Um, so it, I don't really know how to do it. I'm trying to figure out as I go, but right. it's it's definitely a challenge. Right. Right. So, um, all right. So you, you're doing the, the, the event. So what's, what's next for the, the, the photo booth conference? I mean, I still have that vision, uh, that was so close to happening so that I, I would love to make happen yeah. one day. Um, but right now, obviously people ask me, uh, obviously I can't commit to anything yet. It's still, yeah. no one's going anywhere yet. So maybe one day, but right now, it's not on my uh, short list of things that I'm working on. I, I will say though that um, everything happens for a reason. So I tried to be an example. Everybody going to my conference was got hit in the face too. Like we were all in the event industry. Right. Some of my speakers didn't want to speak anymore. Like people were suffering. Right. So I was like, all right, I'm suffering, but I'm gonna show up. Right. right? Exactly. How can I show up and help people and be an example in my little way? Yeah. So I tried to do that and I was blown away by how well a virtual event went. To be honest with you, I did not expect, <laughs> I was like, that's oh, virtual. I, I have to refund people half their money because right. there's no way they're going to be happy with the virtual event. Right. They loved it, man. Like they were blown away. Your, your uh, presentation was one of the most popular ones. Uh, people still talk to me about your presentation. You, oh. you stepped up, you delivered big time. Yeah. Um, Dude, that, so that, people that, like, yeah. That helped me through that, you know. I I was feeling it too. I mean, you know, we're we're gunslinging, you know, 2019, January, February, and then just the rug gets pulled out from the bottom. And uh, but yeah, that it was nice to be able to go and help people like that, and they were just so appreciative of you know of my my presentation and stuff like that. So, like you said, you know, speakers were suffering, you know, but I knew I committed to you, and if I commit, it's going to get done no matter what. And so like, you know, I was like, Hey, and afterwards I just, I was, I was so tired afterwards. I just remember going on the couch and like seeing all the comments and just telling my wife, you know, about it. And I was like, it just made me feel really good and just kind of forget about all the stuff that was going on and what's going to happen. And even some hope, you know, it's like, okay, this is not the end as we all thought, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean that, that you were on the couch, bro. I was knocked out after three days like going through that experience wore me out big time it shouldn't have been that hard but i think the community 
gets stronger. The bonds get stronger in times like that. So I'm glad I was able to facilitate it. I think people loved it. They were very appreciative of it. Um, so that gave me my next idea uh, that you know about. I'm like, all right, um, we went virtual. It went really, really well. Yeah. How do I double down on this? Right. Because I, I think in the future, there's always going to be a virtual component to conferences, right? Why not? Why not do hybrid? People that can't fly in can tune in from home. Yeah. So I don't think that's going away. So I was like, all right, how do I double down on virtual? And I did a survey of my attendees. I, I survey before they come, after they come, all that. And what I basically realized is that the big complaint with any conference is that like your, your presentation was amazing. Like people loved it, right? It's no knock against that. The only thing that they, they say is that you can only go so deep in right. 40 minutes. Right. And obviously that's true, right? You, you, right? you can only go so deep. And I remember you came on a Zoom session afterwards and you were going for like another hour and a half. People were asking you questions. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, why don't I pull together the industry's best? Um, they are also kind of sitting around not doing much. So uh, there's people that I could never get them to do this in other times. But now I'm like, all right, why don't you create a course with me? You're able to go into a topic much more in depth for hours and hours and really train people in detail how to do something. Mm-hmm. And we can sell it digitally on this new platform that I built. So I built a platform from scratch called Wizdra. I put all my recordings from my virtual conference on there as a test, as a beta test for my uh, attendees. Uh, it went well. They loved it. And that's when I started adding courses on there uh, that was more in depth, uh, higher cost. And it was a way to help people, to help the instructors make money uh, maybe, when maybe they weren't making as much as, they, as they're accustomed to. So it was kind of like a way of satisfying all the different parts of the industry. Right. Yeah, I love it. I love that. And uh, yeah, it's off to a great start. So, you know, if you guys are in the photo with rental industry, you're looking to take it to the next level, check out the Wizdra uh, on there. And then I'm going to be working on the course with Ishmael as well um, to go deep, to go deeper. Yeah. Cause it, it, you know, you can't explain Google and Google AdWords and, and stuff like that. There's only so much you can do. And I tried to make it as simple as possible to get the concept over to them and they could go back and do the further digging, you know, but we're going to cover all the digging inside the, the podcast, you know, itself. So yeah, that's good. It's good to see where things are, are going. And, uh, you know, they can pause and, and start the videos and take their time and execute on it uh, right away. Because like I mentioned on your podcast, like when you go and you're spending eight hours at a conference, like when I go to conferences, man, I don't First day, I'm like, oh, so much to do. Such cool information. But oh, where do I start? You know, like I got to do this and I got to do remarketing and we got to do, uh, you know, text message marketing and this and that. So that's always it's good. So what else uh, is on the horizon for you? I know you got that going. You're doing some uh, stock. What are you doing on the stocks? What's your, what are you doing on that? So I've, I've always been an investor. I've always been really interested in financial markets. Like reading, even from back when I was working on Wall Street, I was always investing. I had my investment accounts, my 401k, my IRA. I always did really well, but I focused more on long-term investments. I was always like a Warren Buffett prodigy, value investing, fundamentals. Like you, um, like my Roth IRA is made up mostly of uh, dividend stocks. Um, But as I dug more into the economy, and this is something I'm a weirdo. 
I dig into it more than a normal person would. Mm-hmm. But I started to see that we're now in, we're getting into a phase where it's totally different than anything we've been a part of before. Right. Um, people think we're in a bubble. And I would say, yeah, we're probably in a bubble. Um, but I don't think the bubble's ending anytime soon. So people that are interested in economics, I would recommend looking at Ray Dalio's work. It's really deep, um, very technical, but he studied like the last uh, major inflations in history from like the 1600s. And I found like, I was blown away by his research every single time the same things happen. Yeah. Assets go up like crazy. Uh, (laughs) The value of the currency goes down like crazy. And you're seeing this now, right? You're seeing uh, like we're in this horrible economy. Unemployment rate is at a record high. Mm-hmm. Um, people aren't working. They're not spending as much money. They're not going on vacations. The economy is not good. <laughs> Stock markets at record highs. Mm-hmm. Uh, cryptos at record highs. Real estate's at record highs. Like I'm looking at investing in real estate. By me, they're listing a house for six hundred fifty thousand. It's selling for eight fifty same day. Two hundred above asking. Yeah. So something's going on here, and. Even if you start looking into like collectibles, like sports cards and Pokemon cards and all that stuff, yeah. they're all booming. And what I tell people is that that is happening uh, not just because those things are booming. It's because the dollar is getting weaker. Mm-hmm. So the dollar is getting weaker. Um, your, your The value of your money in your bank account is going down mm-hmm. because they're pumping so much money into the system. They're printing money, every new stimulus. <laughs> um you don't want to hold much cash right now is my advice. And Ray Dalio was famous for saying cash is trash at mm-hmm. the beginning of the year. People laughed at him, <laughs> uh, but he, he ended up being, being right. You do not want to hold cash. Yeah. I don't care if you buy like a vintage car. Yeah. It's better off putting your money into something that will appreciate once the value of the dollar decreases. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I was talking to my friend. Uh, he lives in, he just moved to Dubai and he's heavily in crypto and, stuff like that, investments and stuff. And last night we were chatting and he, I was like, man, if, if a bank were to ask me to see my, my statements in my checking account, I barely keep $3,000 in there. That's it. Just, <laughs> just to pay the bills, maybe the mortgage, you know, here and there, but that's it. Everything else, investment, stocks, real estate, uh, and then, you know, business inventory. You know, my inventory is valuable to me, you know, uh, yeah. but a lot of people- that's exactly, yeah. A lot of people don't understand that concept. You know, they're like, oh, save, save money. No. Well, you know what? That worked in the past right. for like the previous generation because they were getting, you know, 10% interest at the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting 0% interest at the bank. There's money being printed left and right. Yeah. So obviously the value of the dollar is going to go down because there's all these extra dollars being com- pumped into the system. Yeah. But it's gonna, it's more scary than that, Josh. Like if you look at, if you dig into the numbers mm-hmm. very simply, all these governments were already in bad shape, like New York State, all these other states, right? Now they're giving everyone unemployment, right? Right? People aren't working. And right. because they're not working, they can't collect taxes on their income. And oh. because people are spending less money, they can't collect taxes on sales tax. tax yeah. So they're making way less money and they're giving out a lot more money. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen to the financials of all these states? I feel like we're only at the beginning of our currency being devalued. And these things getting higher and higher in price. So, again, my advice is to put your money somewhere. What are, uh, are you investing in crypto? Yeah, I mean, I, I always when I first started learning about Bitcoin, I was like, 
extremists were like saying, oh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. I'm like, ah. But at the beginning of the year, because I saw this happening, and then when COVID came, it was like, put it on fire. Right. I started getting really aggressive into gold and Bitcoin. To me, that's the big two. Um, and now lately, way more into Bitcoin. Um, I have enough gold as my hedge, but that's more of a hedge to preserve wealth. I think Bitcoin's going to go up a lot more than, than gold would. Right, right. What exciting time to be alive, man! I'm glad we got sure. to, we got to witness it, you know, and take and and we we know enough now to take advantage of it, right? Right the way a lot of people, I mean, don't even like just can't imagine not knowing, but it just like a lot of people don't know, you know, they just work in nine to five and come back home and that's it. And, you know, save up money. But yeah, I mean, that's the benefit of shows like this, right? And that's why I started my, my podcast that you were on too, bound to be rich in today's day and age. You don't need to know a super successful person in your family, right? You can listen to billionaires, millionaires, people that are successful. They know more than you mm-hmm. for free. You right. just got to click play and listen and actually do what they're telling you to do. I mean, like you said, what a great time to be alive. I don't understand how people are spending so much time watching Netflix and listening to music, wasting their time when you can listen to people that are telling you how to get better. Right. So for example, I was the weirdo yelling at my friends uh, a few months ago to buy Bitcoin. Uh, A couple of people listened and now they're like, they four X their money in months. Mm -hmm. And they're like, man, Wow. What else? What else can you tell me to do? Right. Everyone else that didn't buy Bitcoin when it was ten thousand, right. they're asking me now, "Hey, should I buy it now at 40? Yeah. Well, you should have bought it when I told you to buy it. Why right. are you asking me now? Right. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we covered a lot. We appreciate you being so open with your knowledge. Uh, where can people find you? you? Can give out your social media tags. Yeah, I mean, if you probably link this in the show notes, but you can follow me on Instagram. Um, Twitter. I'm trying to get more active on these social platforms. My tag is at Mr. Humet, M-R-H-U-M-E-T. Uh, but I think the best place to check me out is on the Bound to Be Rich podcast. I have a interview, a deep dive interview with Josh coming on there. I thought was fascinating. And I think uh, people that are listening, they may not know your full story. They may appreciate because uh, we talked about a lot of stuff there too. But the podcast is my latest passion project. So that's probably something to check out. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Two and a half hour interview had to take, had to go on the couch, hit the couch again after that. <laughs> Every time, no bathroom break, man. it's always the couch afterwards. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. My apologies for draining you. Maybe it's the longest interview you ever did, but uh, as usual, you brought the you brought the knowledge. Yeah, I, there's so many years of knowledge in in you, right? Like from your experience, you know, working on Wall Street and doing all these endeavors, and same thing for me and for Shane and we. Nothing. We want nothing more than to unpack all of it and help other people with it, you know. And the podcast is a great medium to do that, and uh, just unload everything that that we've been through and, and talk all the lessons that we've learned. So we can just save one person from that. That would be a big. That would, that would be motivating for me, you know. Yeah, I mean, we're not doing podcasts to make money. I'll tell you that right now. Ain't nobody making money on these podcasts. So it's really just a passion to help people, right? So hopefully, people take action. And they do something about it. And uh, if, like you said, one person gets better, it's worth it. Right. All right, guys, we'll wrap it up. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure to uh, leave a comment below and review us if you're listening on iTunes or wherever you're reviewing. And uh, we'll put the links. Feel free to text me below. My number is going to be below. You guys can text uh, text me any questions. Take care, guys. Thank you.